You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome to this week's edition of America's Voice for Energy. I'm Marita Noon, the Executive Director of Energy Makes America Great and the companion educational organization, the Citizens Alliance for Responsible Energy. And if you're a regular listener to this show, you know that each week I write an energy-themed, news-based column that addresses something going on in the world of energy. This week... Based on an article in the Wall Street Journal, I looked into the earthquakes in Oklahoma. Now, I've been interested in this topic for nearly a year and a half because back in May of 2014, I was on the show, the television show, Off the Grid with Jesse Ventura. Now, one might wonder why I would even go on such a show, but I did. That was, that was what I did that day. And he asked me, well, about fracking, of course, and he said, what about the earthquakes? And, you know, at the time, I really did not have a good answer for him. I talked about that I grew up in Southern California and that these earthquakes that they were talking about that were supposedly caused by fracking were really more like tremors. But, you know, in Oklahoma, they now have more earthquakes than California. Having grown up in Southern California, that was a pretty startling uh, piece of data for me. And so as I began looking into this, I discovered a really interesting um, segment on the Internet of the Rachel Maddow show from October 16th, in which she addresses these earthquakes in Oklahoma and um, what they call the Great Shakeout, which are really earthquake preparedness drills. On her show, she had our first guest today, and that's how I found out about Jerry Boak, who is the director of the National Ge- or Oklahoma Geological Survey. And, you know, I felt as I watched the segment that, that Jerry made good, sound, solid points, but that Rachel Maddow really didn't want to hear what he had to say. So here today on America's Voice for Energy, Jerry's going to tell us about that experience and, you know, what he said and what he wished he'd said or wished he had time to say. So, Jerry, thanks for joining me today on America's Voice for Energy. Pleasure to be here. Thanks a lot, Marita. So, you know, you're brave to have uh, gone on the Rachel Maddow show, as many people said I was, to have gone on with Jesse Ventura. You know, what was your experience? Well, it was, I mean, it's a little odd in that, of course, I was sitting in a studio in Denver, and she was in New York. I didn't even have a monitor. All I had was a little plug-in in my ear. But, um, you know, she, she and, and, of course, she has she's, her style is partly entertainment, partly news. So the lead-up to yes. it was, was kind of an interesting story about this elementary school that sits amidst the big tanks at Cushing and has now been closed down. But yeah, it, I didn't ever see what the connection to that school was. And let me just encourage our listeners to Google that Rachel Maddow show from October 16th on, on MSNBC. Right. And so, you know, I mean, that was entertaining and interesting. But um, I, I agree, it was, it was a little hard to follow. But... Uh, so then, you know, her questions were really about what's going on here, and because she had started by saying this was fracking waste, toxic waste that was being uh, pumped into the ground, um, I pointed out that it wasn't really 
fracking water. This is this is mostly most of the water that's being disposed of in these um, special class two wells is produced water, formation water from geologic formations. Um, further uphold, and, and what they've done is it, it comes along with the oil and gas. When you produce oil and gas, you generally get some water, and in some cases, you get a whole lot of water. And this, there's a couple of places in Oklahoma that have particularly high water cuts. So um, they have to find a place to put this stuff because in many cases, a lot of this water, virtually all this water is saltier than seawater. A lot of it's saltier than dead seawater, and, and some of it's right up there at the limits at which salt starts precipitating out of the water. It's really, really saline. And if you ever swum in the Dead Sea, they warn you very extensively, don't drink the water because it'll make you sick. So it's not good water. It's also been living down there at depth in this formation with oil and gas, so it's got a few odd chemicals in it that you might not want to ingest. So you've got to get rid of it for years. And, and the main thing you want to do is to avoid contaminating anybody's groundwater, so you put it as deep as you can. For years, Oklahoma had this really beautiful horizon that was very deep, slightly under-pressured and had plenty of porosity and permeability, so it took all the water they needed to. They needed to. Um, looking ahead, somebody might have thought about this problem, but um, people didn't until they started having earthquakes, that you might be providing a pathway for this water to get deeper into the basement. All the earthquakes we're having in Oklahoma are happening much deeper than the actual oil and gas production. So once again, it's not about fracking. These aren't fracking-related earthquakes. There's only a very small handful of generally pretty small earthquakes that have been tied to... Right, and that's kind of what I address with Jesse Ventura. It's like, you know, these are really like tremors. Calling them an earthquake is is kind of like a, a, a drama technique. Yeah. Well, not entirely. I mean, these are these are magnitude. No, I'm talking about the ones that I'm oh, talking about the ones that the actually actual, are caused by fracking. Yeah, the actual fracking related ones. I think there may be some bigger ones going on up in Canada, but I haven't had a chance to research that piece, um, and it's a sideline to what we're working on. Sure. Which sure. is is some some really serious earthquakes. They create a good deal of shaking, and some people are feeling a lot of these. We had we've already had. I believe the number today is about 722 of these earthquakes of magnitude three or greater. And somewhere in the order of 22 uh, magnitude 4 or greater, the ones that happened near Cushing that, that, led, that happened just as this USGS paper came out, uh, were, uh, one of them was a 4.5. The paper says... Yeah, and that's, if, the, one, that's the one right. the Wall Street Journal referenced that kind of was right. the trigger for me in looking into this subject. Exactly, and, and that's a, an earthquake that was, um, you know, but the paper says if you had an earthquake of the size of the largest earthquake we've had in recent times, the Prague earthquake of 2011, which was a, a magnitude 5.6 earthquake, if you had one of those and it were really close to Cushing, um, you could have a problem here. You could have major damage to these facilities, and they had re-looked at some, some smaller earthquakes from 2014 that appear to have been very, very close to those facilities, maybe even directly under them. Um, so there was this risk. What, what's the chance that that, that that particular fault could produce a, a much larger earthquake? And they felt like, uh, from their examination, the fault at least was capable of that. So there is this so, risk out so there, and it's a concern. Yeah, and but what as we brought up, what what you're seeing is that it's that it's not fracking per se, but the wastewater disposal. And in fact, exactly. someone on one of the places where my column was published, I don't remember whether it was Breitbart or American Spectator, where a reader commented, 
this column actually proves what it says it's not, that it is, and basically was saying that it is caused by fracking. And I typed in in response, how do you see that? Because I felt like it was really clear that this is uh, wastewater, not frack water. So it is, this, these earthquakes are being caused as a, as a byproduct, really, of oil and gas drilling. Would you agree right. with that? Yes, they are, they are produced water from a formation. Now, it, it, you would have to admit that, um, yes, indeed, many of the wells which produced this water were hydraulically fractured. I guess you can draw a connection that way, but it's a little tenuous. It's not water, and Mark, Mark Zoback has done the calculation to say that if you look at all the frack water that would have been used in all of the wells in, in Oklahoma, I think is what he did, and how much of it was likely to flow back, it's less than 5% of the volume that's being disposed here. So 95% of this water is the natural formation water. Yeah, so in theory, you could ban fracking in Oklahoma yeah. or anywhere, but you could ban fracking, and this problem would not end. Um, yeah, there are even suggestions from some of the seismologists that if we um, if we stopped injecting, we would get a reverse wave of seismicity as things declined. Um, I don't know about that because I'm not a seismologist by training, but um, what I know is that there are places where actually even extraction of, of water or of oil and gas can induce seismicity, and there are cases down in Texas where that's happened. So, um, now, you know, in Oklahoma, they, they have been, according to my what I learned, that they have been injecting this wastewater from drilling mm -hmm. into the Arbuckle Formation, which mm -hmm. is 7,000 feet underground, uh, for more than 60 years. But we've only seen this um, level of earthquake activity for the last four or five years. Um, yeah, that's true. Um, however, uh, that, that it, we've been doing it at an increasing rate. And so there's right. a question of, is it the total amount you inject, is it the rate at which you inject it, or is it some balance of the two? If you keep injecting at a low rate for a long time, it may disperse adequately, and so you don't build up the pressure at depth that leads to the earthquakes. So, yeah, and that's where you're still doing research. Yeah, that's where we're still doing research, trying to understand you know, how much is enough. You know, what's, what's the Goldilocks level here where we get rid of as much water as the industry would like to, but we don't put so much of it into any one place that it causes the earthquakes. Now you've got to figure out what's just right. Yeah, exactly. Now, we've just got a couple minutes left. Um, you know, let's go back for a moment to Rachel Maddow. Did you, uh -huh. What did you feel was her receptivity to your comments? It was hard to tell because it, it felt like we, we stopped very quickly. There was, yeah. there was a couple of points I wanted to add to what we said. I mean, I, I, it, it, I didn't even realize until afterwards this whole thing about Rachel was emphasizing that this was some kind of new phenomenon when we've had induced seismicity since the 1920s. We, we've documented it, and they're really excellent examples. In fact, I was pleased to get an email from one of the USGS scientists who documented a famous example from the Rocky Mountain Arsenal back in the 1960s. He wrote a summary paper on it uh, in the 1960s. And he thanked me for, for being very clear on the Rachel Maddow show. Um, obviously, she, you know, I think her political bent is that she'd like to see fracking stopped and maybe all oil and gas operations stopped. I'm not sure. Um, well, that, that's my contention in general is that's why people such as Rachel Maddow have chosen to attack fracking mm -hmm. because it's something that the average person doesn't know or understand. 
They call it fracking, which sounds like a naughty word you're not supposed to say, so it has a built-in negative connotation. And because about 96% of all the new wells drilled in this country are drilled using fracking, if they can scare the public and ban fracking, in essence, they stop America's new oil and gas abundance. Uh, you know, that, that's certainly a viewpoint, and, and, you know, it does indeed feel as if she's she's not favorable to any oil and gas, any oil and gas production. The, the story before the one when we talked was about Shell pulling out of the Arctic, and it was a sort of uh, victory cry, I'd have to say. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, she's certainly entitled to it. Shell certainly spent a great deal of money up there and ended up having to go away essentially empty-handed. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting story. We're going to have other guests on the show coming up that are going to talk about different aspects, different geologists and and oil producers that will be joining us to talk about it. So uh, I hope that all our listeners will stay tuned. Jerry Boak, I appreciate you joining us today from the Oklahoma Geological Society, uh, or not society, sorry, survey. Sorry about that. Oklahoma Geologic Survey. Uh, We've got a few seconds left. Anything you want to make sure we cover? Um, no, I think we've covered it all. All right. Well, I appreciate your insight, and thanks for going on the on the air with Rachel Maddow and uh, joining us today on America's Voice for Energy. Sure. Thank all you. Right. We'll be right back. Please stay tuned Yep. on America's right. Web Radio. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call. And I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Voice for Energy. This week we're talking about the connection or the lack of connection, perhaps, between hydraulic fracturing and the new state of earthquakes taking place in the central part of the country. I grew up in Southern California where earthquakes are so commonplace we didn't pay much attention to them. But in places like Oklahoma and Kansas, you don't think of them as earthquake 
country. In our previous segment, we talked with Jerry Boak, who is the director of the Oklahoma Geological Survey. And in this segment, I'm pleased to have with us Rex Buchanan, who is the director of the Kansas Geological Survey. So, Rex, I appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to join us today. Sure. You know, I watched a webinar uh, that featured you and, and several of your colleagues talking about earthquakes in, in um, Oklahoma and Kansas, and frankly, I was surprised to hear what you had to say about earthquakes in Kansas, because we surely don't think of them taking place there. Well, that's true. In fact, I would say most of the people here don't think about them, or at least they didn't until the last few years. Uh, Kansas is generally what people refer to as a relatively aseismic state, a pretty quiet place seismically. We've had a little bit of historic seismicity, but, but certainly nothing major, and certainly nothing like what we've seen in the last few years. And that has some implications as we went into the last couple of years, because we really went into this situation pretty under-instrumented uh, when it came to seismicity. You know, when you're, when you're in a quiet state, there's really no reason for you to have a bunch of seismographs recording earthquakes. And so uh, we were playing a little bit of catch-up when we began to experience uh, earthquakes a couple of years ago. So did Kansas have even a geological society or, or a survey, I'm sorry, geological survey prior to this? Yeah, we've, uh, we're one of the well, probably five largest geological surveys in the, in the country because oil and gas is a big issue here, but so is groundwater. Uh, and so this survey is a relatively large one. We're part of the University of Kansas. And we had actually operated a seismic network here as part of our uh, research in the 70s and 80s. It was funded by the Corps of Engineers and the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, but again, because relatively low level of seismic activity, we discontinued that uh, when funding went away in the, in the late 1980s. So what, what have you found? Uh, you know, like I mentioned, I watched your webinar, but um, our listeners didn't. So could you share with us what, what you all are experiencing in campus? Yeah, this really uh, sort of kicked off in the fall of 2013, so really about two years ago now we began to have some events down in south-central Kansas in a couple of counties really right on the Oklahoma border. And it was a part of the world where we'd had some a little bit of natural seismicity. So when we saw earthquakes initially, there were certainly some questions about what were natural and what might be man-made, but they continued to be really active through the fall of 2013 and the winter in 2014, the activity level was such that the, the governor appointed an induced seismicity task force that was composed of, of me here from the Geological Survey and also staffers from the Kansas Corporation Commission, which regulates oil and gas activity in the state, and the Kansas Department of Health and Environment. Uh, governor appointed that group in February, or January, February of 2014. We saw a continuation, really, of that uh, seismic activity all through 2014. In a typical year, we might or, might have one or two felt earthquakes, and in 2014, we had 
oh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 100, 125 earthquakes of, wow. of uh, 2.5 or better. So we saw just a dramatic increase. Uh, that task force reported out to the governor just about a year ago now, a little, uh, little more than a year ago, and it, it recommended both enhanced monitoring, both some temporary monitoring stations and, and a permanent network, and it also developed a, a seismic score that when we saw a certain number of earthquakes uh, in uh, uh, certain clusters, then the Corporation Commission and the Kansas Department of Health and Environment would take a look at disposal operations because, as I'm, I'm sure you know by now, really attention is focused on uh, saltwater disposal wells and high-volume disposal wells in area where we re really hadn't seen high-volume, really large amounts of saltwater in the past. And so... Uh, that, that report was delivered to the governor. The monitoring went on, and in March of this year, as activity continued, we had actually, last November, we had a 4.9, which is the largest earthquake we've had in this process and one of the largest in the history of the state. Uh, last March, the KCC then issued an, an order that identified five areas of seismic concern and began sort of a staged cutback in disposal in those five areas, and, and that's where we are today. Uh, Seismic activity has continued. It was down through the summer. It's picked up a little bit uh, again now, and we're in the middle of a lot of conversations about what we're seeing and why. Well, obviously, if you say it was down during the summer, uh, you, one has to ask, uh, do you have any idea why uh, it's down during the summer? Well, yeah, there, there's, there's several things going on at the same time, and one of the problems here you know, in the scientific world is if you could just control, if you only had one variable that was changing at any given time, then you would know exactly what to attribute changes to. But in this case, the KCC order went into effect in March, was about, and that was about the same time that oil prices really uh, dropped dramatically. And so exploration activity dropped, uh, production dropped somewhat. And you put those things together, so trying to figure out if this decline, and, and particularly we saw a, lar a decline in larger earthquakes. We went virtually all summer. In fact, we haven't had a 4.0 or greater since uh, early in June. Uh, but whether that's due to the KCC's order, whether it's due to the drop in oil exploration, there's also just a natural fluctuation in earthquake activity that's going to it's going to bounce up and down anyway. So trying to determine which of exactly those three things it is, or if it's a combination of all three, uh, is sort of where we're left at today. And those are the kinds of things that we're talking about now. Yeah, obviously, if you see a definite drop in activity and a drop of earthqu in earthquakes, you'd, you'd have to assume there's some correlation. Yeah, I, I I don't think there's any question that 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 is one of the things that you would you would want to go to. Uh, by the same token, you and and because the the reduction in earthquake activity it happened at almost exactly the same time as the KC3 order went into effect, and I think everybody would have assumed that it was going to take a certain amount of time for that order to have an impact, and so to be able to tease apart how much is due to the KCC order and how much is due to reduction in activity, that's a pretty tough thing to know. And like I said, we've also seen activity pick up again here recently. We had, uh, I think it was three 3.0 or larger earthquakes over the weekend. Uh, 
it's there, there's a fair amount of conversation. This has been a tough topic to figure out. I don't think there any anybody that you've been talking to here would argue that this was a simple thing. And even throughout the summer, when we were seeing, seeing uh, a reduction in activity, the argument that I made over and over again was we can't treat this as a short-term phenomenon. We still don't understand it very well, and we need to be prepared for when oil prices do go back up again, because that's the one thing we do know is they may be down now, but they're going to come back again. And when they need, when they do, we need to be better prepared than we were this time. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you know, the obvious thing is you're saying the, the oil prices are down, therefore there's less uh, development. Do you, you know, what's your, your gut? I mean, the average, uh, as I wrote in my column, the anti-fossil fuel crowd wants to blame hydraulic fracturing for all these earthquakes. But the Oklahoma data doesn't support that because uh, we're in the area where this is happening. It's done, it's with conventional drilling. And uh, the, the, the consensus seems to be that it's the uh, injection wells, the disposal of that, that very salty, brackish, briny, whatever you want to call it, water that is co-produced with the oil and gas. So rather than it being certainly not fracking and rather than it being actual production, it seems to be disposal. Yeah, uh, I I know there there's there are a few instances around the country where you you certainly can associate the seismic activity with uh, with hydraulic fracturing. There have been cases in Oklahoma or in uh, Ohio and and uh, certainly in British Columbia and Canada, but at least in the mid continent and and certainly in Kansas, I don't know that we have had any situation where anybody can tie uh, any of the the earthquakes themselves to uh, uh, frack jobs. Having said that, I, I do think everybody's attention here, yeah, has focused on the salt water that's produced along with the oil over time. Uh, with horizontal drilling, we've got you know, wells that produce a lot more fluid, both oil and salt water, than a traditional well would. And that, that you know, those big volumes of water have to go somewhere. And, and, uh, in those, and like I said, that's where the attention is really focused, is on uh, the areas where we, we have those high-volume wells. Now, I talked to Kim Hatfield, and I assume you know who he, who he is, uh, chairman of the Induced Seismicity Working Group in Oklahoma. I talked to him in preparation for writing my column, and he told me that in Oklahoma they've been injecting this water uh, for more than 60 years into the Arbuckle formation and have not had any issues with that. So they're, they're trying to see, you know, obviously there has there's some level of injection that seems to be safe. What would you say to that? Well, there are some papers that are coming out. I know just this week that the USGS is getting ready to release a paper that's going back and taking a look at some of that seismicity in Oklahoma uh, that, that they think now might be induced even historically that people didn't talk about before. But having said that, at least in, in Kansas, yeah, we've, we've, people have used disposal wells here for years and years and years, uh, and we haven't seen any real level of uh, seismic activity related to that. The difference is today that, that like I said, we've got horizontal wells that are producing an order of magnitude more fluid than a traditional vertical well would. And so that's really the game changer. It's not so much just the the, uh, the concept of, of uh, injection wells, but the fact that with these with this particular play that we're dealing with in south central Kansas, that we're just dealing with an awful lot more water than we would in a traditional setting. 
So you feel like it's the volume uh, of water that's being produced at this point? Yeah, I think that's pretty much where everybody has arrived at, uh, is just simply that we're talking about in wells of you're back in, in prior to, to when this activity started uh, you know in a traditional disposal well down in that part of the world the KCC would report amounts of say three or four thousand barrels of salt water a day well now that when you've got wells that are doing 20 or 30 thousand barrels a day it's it's a pretty different world than it was then yeah uh, you know we've just got about a minute left what do you see as a solution to this problem well, I certainly think it's it, it can be mitigated, and that's what the way folks are approaching it here. Uh, that basically, if you uh, cut down on the volumes of these wells, if you spread the water out more, you give it more of a chance to dissipate, and that mass isn't concentrated in locations such that it changes that pore pressure regime in the basement and, and allows faults to move. That's the sort of thing that I think uh, really everybody is focused on now. How much do you have to spread it out? What kinds of volumes can you handle without seismicity? Those are the kind of things we still don't know, but I think I feel like we're learning more every day, and we're 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 getting a better handle than, say, we had on it a year or 18 months ago. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting subject, and I think the answers are, uh, fortunately, in my opinion, not what the environmental groups, the anti-fossil fuel crowd, as I like to call them, the answers are not really what they want to hear. Well, I, I don't know that anybody in Kansas, occasionally you'll hear people talk about a moratorium on disposal wells, but I don't know that we've had any anybody bring that forward in Kansas in a, in a credible way. The, the people in the part of the world where this is going on will consistently tell us they, they, they want the earthquakes to go away, but they also want the the – the, the economic activity that goes with the oil and gas uh, production as well. So yeah. trying to achieve that balance, I think, is what, what, what we're aiming at at this point. Well, Rex Buchanan, Director of the Kansas Geological Survey, we appreciate you giving us your time today and your insights, and I think uh, this show is going to provide a lot of insight for people who are concerned about this issue. Okay, well, glad to do it, and, and uh, good luck in this process. Thank you so much. We'll be right back on America's Voice for Energy. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren on Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. This is Michael Gano with Insight to Israel. Every day, the Israeli Defense Force finds itself on the front line of the war with the militant arm of Islam. Surrounded by enemies from within and without, they fight for the only Jewish state. Military service is mandatory, ladies serving two years and men serving three right out of high school. While young people in other democracies are busy traveling or attending university, Israeli men and women gear up for basic training. In a world of heads of state, politicians, ambassadors, diplomats, and a leftist media, many times our voice at the grassroots level is drowned out. So we started an ongoing project called Hershey's for Heroes. Patriot conservatives from all over the U.S. are sending Hershey's chocolate bars with a note of thanks for defending Israel. Won't you join us by sending a sweet message to the IDF? For information, please see my Facebook page at Michael Gano. Thank you, God bless Patriot Conservatives, and God bless Israel in her struggle for sovereignty and security. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, 
the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Voice for Energy. I hope you're enjoying today's show, and I believe the package of experts that I've put together for you today uh, are going to produce really kind of the definitive work on this subject. I mean, obviously, there's there's uh, deeper academic papers, but I think for those of you who are out there wondering, really, does hydraulic fracturing cause earthquakes? And as my column has been published this week, I've had some people respond online to the column who have agreed with what I said in the column and others who have, have you know, basically in print laughed at me for what I've said. But I've reached out to the experts and pulled the information together for you, and we certainly have a, a great expert with us for this segment of America's Voice for Energy. I'm pleased that William Ellsworth, who is a professor at the Department of Geophysics at Stanford University, and he's also a former senior research scientist at the USGS, and he's joining us in this segment. Now, for those of you who li listened to the previous segment, which hopefully is all of you, I was talking with Rex Buchanan. And Rex was on, I mentioned a webinar that I had watched in, in preparation for writing my column. And uh, William Ellsworth was on that webinar as well. So I'm really excited that to be able to share uh, this information with the listeners today. So, so, Professor, thank you for joining us today. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. So, you, you know, you've got some really great insight, and as I mentioned in my introductory comments, some people have responded to my column like, oh, well, then I wanted specifically comments on, of course, fracking causes earthquakes that happened in Canada. And, um, you know, what, what would you say to that person? Well, certainly fracking can and does cause earthquakes. Uh, the intention of fracking is to break up the rock, and that process produces very, very tiny earthquakes, uh, ones that are so small that even our instruments at the surface don't normally detect them. But occasionally a larger earthquake can be created, one that's strong enough to be felt, and, and to date one that has the potential for doing minor damage. Uh, but that said, we've not seen any of those in the United States. Only rarely have they been felt, despite millions of frack jobs having been completed. And I think that's an important point that we, this is, we, as you said, millions of frack jobs have been completed, but there, there's very, very few instances of uh, seismic activity that can be felt by humans. Yes, that's correct. And there, there certainly are some, but, but by and large, the, uh, the rash of earthquake activity that we're currently exper experiencing in states such as Oklahoma and southern Kansas uh, is related to the disposal of wastewater that is uh, co-produced along with oil and gas. Uh, this is typically injected in specially built uh, disposal wells, and uh, by injecting this fluid deep underground, uh, it has uh, unleashed this uh, rather impressive um, period of earthquake activity uh, in those states. You know, I, I talked to Kim Hatfield in Oklahoma. I assume you know who he is, the chairman of the Induced Seismicity Working Group, and uh, I was not able to get him to be on the show with me, but uh, he, he talked about that this has been going on uh, for 60 years in Oklahoma, and there's only been this so-called induced seismicity uh, for the last four or five years. Uh, would you agree with that? 
Well, the, the, the induced seismicity has become an issue there since about 2009 uh, when earthquake activity really began to ramp up in Oklahoma. There, there's always been some activity, and there's certainly scientific discussion about how much is natural, how much might be related uh, to, to disposal activities. What's really changed has been just the volumes of uh, produced water that is being injected into these deep wells. That's really the, the big change, and, and as we watch the evolution of seismicity across Oklahoma, it basically follows the areas that are being newly developed uh, for oil production. So I, th I think there's no question that the, the vast majority of the recent earthquakes are a direct result of the wastewater disposal. Yeah, and that's what the new research seems to be showing and the report that your colleagues there at Stanford put together uh, was real clear on what was and what was not causing uh, these earthquakes. And, and they really clearly found that, uh, it, certainly in Oklahoma, that it had, well, I, I guess, you know, it relates everywhere, but uh, that it was not connected to fracking. That's correct. It, it really is a wastewater disposal problem, and, and this is one that people are working very hard now to, to understand how to manage so that the, the, the disposal can continue uh, without creating the earthquakes. It's, it's still a big scientific challenge, but there are many groups working on it, and I think it's a problem we will solve. Oh, I was just going to ask, do you think you'll find a solution to it? What do you think in your gut from having working on this and, of course, your expertise uh, in, the, in the geosciences? What, what do you think is going to be the solution? Well, one of the solutions is going to be to ensure that the, the wastewater does not reach the deepest rocks, the rocks that we call the basement. And uh, some of the practice has uh, allowed the, uh, the, the injected water to interact with faults in the basement rocks, the crystalline rocks. This is where the, the energy released in earthquakes is being stored. So if we can prevent the fluids from getting that deep, then, then I think it will largely take care of the problem. That's still a hypothesis, but uh, we're currently doing essentially that experiment in, in, in both Oklahoma and Kansas where uh, wastewater has, uh, has been – the amount of wastewater being injected into the deep layers is being reduced. Now, I, I'm no expert on this. I'm, I'm the writer. I'm the communicator person. But I, I certainly, from doing all the research I did to write my column this week, I certainly know more than the average person on the street about this topic. And uh, what I recall in my research is that originally it was thought to uh, inject this wastewater into the what they call the crystalline basement. Yes, so many of these wells uh, are drilled quite deep. They're, they're looking for uh, rock formations that will accept a lot of fluid um, because they have a lot to dispose of, uh, but will not interact with, with certainly with drinking water or interfere with the petroleum production, which is occurring at, at shallower levels. So often these wells go quite deep. Uh, they go into the basement. There's often a, a very injectable zone just above the basement. And so that's been a... a, a um, uh, a target of opportunity for the disposal. Now, some of the companies, I think, have begun to experiment with, ex with injection at shallower levels. Uh, this may prevent the water from getting to the basement, and time will tell as to whether this is really effective in terms of curtailing the earthquake activity. So this is something that really all um, sides of this situation, I might say, I'm meaning government regulators, academics, industry are all really cooperating to try to find a solution. Is that correct? 
That's correct. There's a lot of discussion uh, involving all of these parties, and of course the public is part of this as well, that that uh, many are concerned about just the nuisance factor of having small earthquakes rattling their houses all the time. So this is this in, impacts um, the companies uh, in terms of their, their social license to operate. Um, so this has been as much a concern as I think the direct hazard from, from earthquake shaking. Certainly if we look at other countries, such as uh, some countries in Western Europe where they're discussing fracking, the, the, the shaking issue is really the big one that they're concerned about. Uh, no one wants to feel earthquakes, uh, even if they're, they have low damage potential. So, so I think everyone is really grappling with this problem about how best to um, allow the industrial activities to succeed while not creating either a nuisance or a hazard to the public. Now, you mentioned Europe. Um, again, someone wrote a comment on one of the places that publishes my column. It's kind of all over the place. I don't recall exactly who said it. But they said something about that in the U.K. they have fracked exactly one well. And if I was to listen to what this person wrote on the page, um, that one uh, experiment in the U.K. was a disaster. Do you have any clue about that? Yes, this is a this is a now a well-studied case from several years ago where they they basically drilled their first well to to produce gas from one of these unconventional reservoirs, and in the process of preparing the well, they go through a hydraulic fracture stimulation uh, that created uh, a couple of very small earthquakes, but were perceptible at the surface, and this shut the operation down. Now in the UK, they're now having the discussion about how they might continue uh, trying to put limits about the size of the earthquakes that would be tolerated. Um, and we're, we're yet to see how this is going to play out. Was there any other um, consequence of these small earthquakes as a result of that well? Well, not, a, not in that case, no. They, they were really too small to do any damage, uh, although certainly people in the immediate area would have, would have perceived them. Uh, perhaps a better case was from uh, Basel, Switzerland, where uh, a few years back they were developing a, uh, uh, a heat resource uh, to produce um, heat for space heating in the city of Basel. And as part of that process, they drilled a well deep into the crystalline rocks. They pumped fluid in it to hydraulically fracture the well, and they produced some earthquakes that were sharply felt. This, this led eventually to the termination of the project uh, because of the it largely the social hazard as well as some what we would call cosmetic, in other words, non-structural damage that occurred in the city. Uh, so this, is, this has made some um, you know, kind of serious questions in Switzerland for how they might go about continuing to develop um, uh, alternative energy sources, in particular uh, geothermal energy for heat. So in this case, they were not fracking for oil and gas development, and they were actually fracking, if I understand correctly, much, much deeper into the geological structure than what we do for oil and gas development. It, it could be about comparable depth. I think the difference here is that, that the, the purpose of the fracking was to uh, allow fluid to flow uh, between two wells, one well that would have cold water coming in. Uh, the water would warm up as it as it uh, uh, moves to the second well, and then the heat would be extracted from the, from the second well. Um, this is the type of operation that is done in the United States to develop uh, geothermal resources as well. So it's not unusual. The difference here was that this was going on within a city, and uh, people were very sensitive to feeling earthquakes. Sure, especially if they're not used to them. Now, you are, yeah, there's also a case, I understand, in Canada where fracking did cause some seismic activity. 
Yes, there have been several examples of uh, fracking-induced earthquakes, uh, primarily in British Columbia. Uh, some of them have been uh, surprisingly large in the magnitude 4 range. Uh, fortunately, they've been in very remote parts of Canada, so, so very few, if any, people have been directly affected aside from the, the employees working on the, the drilling operations. But, but they do point out that there is, uh, there is some hazard involved in hydraulic fracturing, although it is very small compared to uh, to other uh, risk factors. Was the geologic formation in Canada different from what you're seeing, say, in Oklahoma and Kansas? Um, it, it's not so different. It may be a little bit deeper. This this may be one of the reasons why the earthquakes are larger. Uh, my colleagues in Canada are still re researching these questions at this time. Uh, it may be that they were also using higher pressures and, and higher fluid volumes than are typically used in the United States. But, but we know from um, many, many f frac jobs that have been completed in states such as Pennsylvania, uh, Texas, and so on, that, that uh, there's been little or no reported um, earthquake shaking as a, as a consequence of those activities. We've got less than a minute left, and this has been fascinating. I appreciate your taking your time uh, with us. What about Ohio? So Ohio is one of the states that has been very much in front of this, that the regulators and have been working very hard to put in uh, the types of uh, controls and monitoring that, that would allow uh, any, any evolving problems to be spotted very quickly and then steps taken to uh, minimize the risk of any future earthquake activity. But wasn't there an earthquake like on New Year's or something in Ohio and we're, we've only got just a few seconds left, I hate to say. Yes, you're remembering the one in Youngstown, Ohio, and that was a wastewater disposal well. Oh, it was wastewater. Okay, because, again, re respondents to my column have asked about that. Oh, you've been fascinated to listen to. I appreciate your insights and sharing this. So, you know, I don't want to be in denial that there are cases where fracking has caused earthquakes, but as you pointed out, they've been very isolated and under basically different circumstances from what we're generally doing in the United States for oil and gas development. Yes, that's correct. So it's a question of really being careful what you're doing and watching, uh, monitoring very carefully the operations. Great. We've been talking with uh, Professor William Ellsworth, who is with the Department of Geophysics at Stanford University. Thank you for your time and giving us your insights today on America's Voice for Energy. My pleasure. Very nice to talk to you. Thanks so much. We'll be right back. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call. And I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to our closing segment of America's Voice for Energy. Today we've been talking about hydraulic fracturing, wastewater disposal, and induced 
seismicity, which is also known, uh, of course, as man-made earthquakes. This has been a pretty controversial controversial subject as of late. And for our closing segment today, I'm pleased to bring you Carol Shields, who is a, a geo, he's a geologist, and he does, uh, specializes in appraisal of mineral rights. And when I sent out my column, I have a, a list of folks, roughly 5,000 people, who every single week I send them a copy of my weekly column. And uh, when I sent sent Carol a copy of my column, he emailed me back and gave me some really interesting insights, and so I, I reached out to him and said, would you join me on my radio show? And so I'm pleased to introduce to you Carol Shield, who is from Arkansas. So we've, we've kind of covered the map here today. Carol, thanks for joining me. I'm glad to be here. So tell me a little bit about you know, your unique perspective, especially as a, an appraiser of mineral rights to this topic. Uh, it's been a real concern to, to appraisers uh, nationwide because they deal with uh, environmental problems that might might impact uh, value. So uh, as part of what I did was uh, joined with the uh, Appraisal Institute in a webinar where uh, I and a geologist by the name of Dan Billman out of, uh, of uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, uh, joined in the conversation and discussed fracking and tried to explain uh, fracking and and earthquake issues to to people who had joined the the, the webinar. And so as now, well as let me just stop for just a, let me stop for just a moment. Were these people? I, I assume generally general public versus geologists, for example. Uh, yes, they were mostly. Um, um, the public, uh, or you know, they were experts in the appraisal field, but they needed to learn more about you know things that they're concerned about, and it's things that even lenders are bringing up. You know, how close is a well to my, our property? Do we want to land on property just because there's somebody fracking down the road and they, this sort of thing? Yeah, but and I understand that fly. even Freddie and Fanny have gotten involved in this. Right, they're 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 very much uh, involved, and in they're they're writing rules for appraisers, and their underwriters are questioning them about uh, earthquakes and fracking, and uh, asking them to identify damage that's p potentially there. Um, of course, earthquakes have been around for a lot longer than fracking, and uh, I think that was some of the points that we tried to make. Was that, for instance, in Oklahoma, uh, during the period of 1977 to 1988 before fracking, the Oklahoma Geologic Survey had detected over 1,400 earthquakes and 67 of them strong enough to be felt. Now, few people remember that because they tend to be fairly small. Uh -huh. And so, so when, they, when this issue comes back up, and, and it always they're trying to lay blame on something in a recent event, but but it's partly the geology, and that was the, the the gist of what I was trying to to teach, and what Dan Billman was trying to teach, is that the geology is what's going to control the earthquakes and injection wells, not fracking, is almost certainly the the uh, cause of, of of the problem, and uh, it, it is simply uh, acting on something that's already there. It's, there are places like South Arkansas where they move huge amounts of, of salt water 
uh, to uh, obtain bromine. In South Arkansas, the uh, bromine wells down there recycle a lot of old oil field brines to extract the bromine, and that you never hear of a, of a uh, earthquake in that area. However, in, in the central Arkansas, there was a swarm of earthquakes, and in those earthquakes, uh, we did relate the fluids being injected into the, the deeper formations uh, as triggering uh, these um, earthquake swarm, as we call them, where there was you know hundreds of earthquakes over a short period of time. However, it's also interesting to note that only about 10 miles away from the swarm of earthquakes that are related to these injection wells, we had a, a swarm called the Enola Swarm in the early 1980s. And that was a period where there were no wells being drilled in that area. It wasn't an area that had been developed previously. So the Enola Swarm totaled, ended up totaling over 30,000 earthquakes. And we probably missed quite a few of the earthquakes early in this the start of this because there were no earthquake detecting stations no seismic stations in Arkansas at the time and it, it took until a large enough quake triggered the Memphis uh, seismograph station to even know that, that we had had this swarm going on. Yeah, Rex, uh, Rex Buchanan told us something similar along that line in Kansas that they really didn't have to record the seismic events that, that were beginning to happen or that, you know, they had happened in Kansas. That's, that's probably true. And, of course, like I mentioned, that, um, you know, it is a problem. But, again, it relates to the deep formations well below the zones that are being fracked. In the, in the Arkansas, the Fayetteville Formation is being fracked, and it's uh, hundreds of feet uh, shallower than is the uh, uh, Arbuckle formation that was being injected into. And the reason they injected in this deeper formation was because it had a lot of porosity. didn't have any gas in it. It was reasonably water. They had a lot of porosity. But apparently adding more fluid to that zone uh, and the set of, uh, of um, faults that surrounded that area it's very interesting if you look a map of those fractures, those, those faults lay along the fractures that were not known previous to those earthquakes. So it's a different set of fractures. It's a different geologic situation in the deep formations. So I think that the key, one of the key things that you're talking about here that you've mentioned is that this swarm, as you called it, of earthquakes in Arkansas, uh, happened when there was no drilling on, going on in the area at all, and certainly we don't think of Arkansas as a quake zone. Uh, that's true. Uh, Almost all of the seismicity in Arkansas would relate right along the northeast corner uh, where the New Madrid zone is, and, and we do have quakes there, but the geologic situation in the middle of the Ozarks is far different. And it started, again, it started around 1980, 82, somewhere in there in, in what we call the Enola Swarm. And again, that was almost 30,000 quakes of various sizes. Uh, quite a few of them were felt, but uh, uh, it died down and died down over a period of about 8 or 10 years. And then with the uh, uh, development of these uh, several uh, injection wells in surrounding the little town of Guy, 
uh, it started up again and uh, uh, peaked about uh, October 2010. And uh, so they... As the, the state stepped in at that point and ordered them to be shut down, uh, of course, they're still having to move that fluid, and a lot of it's going further west or, or south and, and not having any problems in those other areas. So that same kind of uh, the pr- produced water, which uh, I, I am, so I'm assuming is not directly related to fracking in, in Arkansas, or is it that produced water? Uh, produced water is... Um, much of it is recycled. Uh, Southwestern Energy in particular has, has been recycling a lot of that water. So, uh, no, it is the, um, the I mean, the, the recycling the, the injection fluid, the frac fluid. Um, uh-huh. But the, the actual produced water is mm-hmm. water that's produced as you, as you uh, produce a gas well. And so that's the produced water. And the, the frac water itself is, is a different issue, and they don't inject very much frac water. Uh, they're, they're trying to recycle as much of it as possible. And, and, again, you have to be careful with the fluid because fluids have different salinity. If you start mixing fluids with different salinity, well, then you get a precipitate. And if you start injecting a, um, a, a low part per million salt, fluid into a high part per million salt fluid, such as a deep formation like, like the Arbuckle, uh, you may set up a, a chemical reaction that ends up actually uh, cementing the, the whole up with the, the natural process of, of that salt trying to precipitate out of the, the water. So you have to be careful of, of getting the right fluid in the right zone. But when you're taking a produced water that contains a high amount of salt and injecting it in a deep well of similar salinity, then you, you don't have a problem with that precipitate. But uh, the frac water uh, uh, is, is, again, is a different, different fluid than formation water. But yet that's what we hear out there. You hear the idea that earthquakes are caused by fracking. Exactly, and and it, it's very difficult to uh, uh, break people of that notion because the, the popular press is always going to call it frac water. They're going to relate it to fracking, uh, but but these these produced waters come from wells that are not fracked, even or they're wells that are conventional or wells. In fact, the older the well is, more likely it's going to produce uh, a higher amount of of produced water. Really. Well, yeah, you know, you've given us a lot of information on why this is a, is really a complicated problem. And as I've read, studied up to write each week's column, and this week, obviously, I studied up on this topic, there's a lot out there from the anti-fossil fuel. And, uh, you know, you would think that, and, and it, you know, to the average casual listener, it makes sense. You, you put this high-pressure fluid, et cetera, in, down into the rock to crack the rock. It sounds like it's going to create an earthquake. But that's not really what the data is showing, and, and you're explaining that there have been earthquakes, a swarm of earthquakes that have happened when no drilling was nearby. So it really complicates the issue of finding a solution. I, I believe you're correct on that, and I think that uh, until people are educated enough to re- recognize the difference between those formation fluids and that, that fluid that's being uh, injected to frack uh, 
zone and, and to understand that, again, it's the geology that's going to control it. Uh, the Nemaha Ridge is an area where there's those deep fault systems, uh, just as the frontal fault of the Arcoma Basin is has a series of, of zones with these deeper faults that are, are a different. Uh, geologic environment at depth, and when we injected into them in the past, we've generally not had much trouble because uh, we we don't inject in as from as many wells, and we're not injecting from from uh, as deep wells. So uh, it, it's increased the amount of fluids that we're injecting, and, and thus creates a uh, any. Uh, any zone that's that's uh, has that potential is, is going to be exposed to more fluid. Yeah, we're out of time, Carol. It's amazing we could. It's how fascinating the topic is. We've had a really great show, and uh, Carol Shields, I appreciate you joining us today on America's Voice for Energy, heard each week on America's Web Radio. Thanks so much. Um, thank you. And thanks for listening, all of you. We look forward to hearing back from you next week. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.